Welcome to Total Retail Talks, your podcast channel for retail knowledge. Hello, I'm Joe Keenan, the Editor-in-Chief of Total Retail. I'm here at the ICR conference in Orlando, and I'm joined on this episode by John Maris, who is the CEO of Solo Brands. John uh, actually was part of the agenda earlier this morning, gave a fireside chat here at the event, and we're going to have some questions about that as well, just learning a little bit more about the overall solo brands business. So thanks for joining me today, John. Great to be with you. So you talked a little bit about this at the fireside chat. Um, so you, you went to, uh, public in October 2021, um, yet you're continuing to uh, experience growth and, and be a profitable business. So. Um, can you talk a little bit about why um, so many DC, D2C brands that went public recently have really struggled to, to turn that profitability? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of factors. Uh, it, it hasn't, the, the last, you know, during COVID, there were some some moments, uh, you know, with stimulus money and things where it was easier, but say 2022, I think, uh, rocked a lot of businesses. And um, I think the issue that a lot of businesses that, you know, kind of have or fall under the banner of DTC have had is, is that they were built on the backs of investment dollars. So from the beginning, they weren't profitable. And it's really hard to turn the corner in environments like this to profitability when leading into this environment, you really weren't profitable already. I think for a business like Solo, we've been profitable since we were started. We weren't started with a bunch of seed money, millions of dollars being flowed into the business. And we were just kind of spending and spending and spending to grow our business, but we really did it in a disciplined fashion. So it was founded with $15,000 in, in a garage with, with no expenses. And the only way we could survive is to sell the product for more than it costs us to make it. Right. And, um, and that's been our philosophy. So I think that there's this mindset when you, when you think D to C, you think high growth, no profits, it's kind of where your mind goes. And, I think the difference for us is when we say D to C, it's actually profitability and drive as much growth as you can while you're profitable. So it's profits first and growth second. And you know, fortunately, when you do that right, you actually have dollars to invest in growth. And so I think um, what's different for us is rather than rely on other people to put dollars into our business, we've been able to self-fulfill our prophecy by generating cash ourselves and then reinvest in the business. And maybe I should uh, just take a step back and uh, just have you tell us a little bit about that origin story and, and, and explain the brand for those that aren't familiar with solo brands. Just kind of give an overview. I know there's a few brands you've made some acquisitions. So tell yeah. us a little bit about, about the organization as a whole. Yeah, that's great. Um, so the first brand, the, the, the kind of foundational brand inside of solo brands is Solo Stove. Um, we manufacture backyard and kind of camping, tailgating, wood burning, fire pits that burn nearly smokeless. So imagine being able to sit around a fire pit and not play musical chairs and have your, your eyes burning and your hair smelling <laughs> like smoke and everything else. Uh, so that's really Solo Stove. We've expanded that brand from an innovation standpoint to a variety of product categories. We were just talking about our pie pizza oven, the ability to cook uh, restaurant quality pies in your backyard, um, you know, pizzas, and then uh, patio heaters and, and patio furniture. So really the kind of this expansion to outdoor living, outdoor experiential uh, is really big for Solo Stove. In 2021, we made our first acquisition of a company called Oru Kayak, which is an origami kayak. It folds to the size of a, of a briefcase. It weighs 20 pounds, uh, super portable, makes kayaking more accessible to, to its customers. And then we bought a paddleboard business and surf company called Isle Paddleboards 
uh, out of San Diego, which has been fantastic. Our, our acquisition spree kind of culminated with the purchase of a company called Chubby's. It's, it's uh, men's, men's swimwear and, and apparel, um, super fun brand. A lot of people ask like, okay, we, you know, solo stove, outdoor fire pits. We kind of understand the kayaks. We kind of understand yeah. the paddle boards, but what about Chubby's and how did that funnel in? Um, we've been talking about direct to consumer. When we talk about direct to consumer, we're really talking about the relationship. We're not talking about the channel. I think a lot of people, when they hear direct to consumer immediately go, oh, okay. So we're talking about an e-commerce business, but for us, e-commerce is, is an element of it, but it's really about that direct connection to the customer. And what drove the acquisitions for us, including for Chubby's, is that these were all brands that had really strong connections to their customers. Their customers were, were, were loyal, passionate followers, and we saw an opportunity to potentially cross-pollinate those customer bases for, yeah. for growth. And uh, I, I want to bring that up and talk about um, all these being brands that you've acquired, uh, all being direct-to-consumer brands first. So thinking about that, and you talked about the, the customer, um, those loyal customer bases that, that existed when you brought them into the fold. Tell us, and you talked about this in your fireside chat, you know, it's, it's less about D2C and more about the customer relationship. So, so what do you mean by that and, and why... Um, I do believe kind of that D2C is, is putting the loyal customer base first. Yeah, you know, in a world where, you know, you read the headlines and you ask yourself, like, why, why do D2C companies, why are they really labeled as unprofitable or as, as in, unable to make money? And it all comes down to customer acquisition costs. What their product uh, costs them to make and it costs them to acquire the customer is more than what they're actually selling the product for. I mean, that's really the disconnect. And if you and so if you want to drive customer acquisition costs down, which ultimately means you want to get profitable, which hopefully everyone wants to, the way that you should think about that is you've got to deliver value to the consumer. Well, if you don't have a relationship to the consumer or with the consumer, then how can you know what they value? And that's been big for us. We want to be connected to the consumer. We want to have a relationship with them. We want to be able to converse with them. We talk to them all the time. We survey our customers and ask them how, how we're doing on the existing products. What about the value, the price that they paid versus the value they're getting out of the product? What about products that we haven't launched that they wish that we would and what price point would they be willing to pay for those products? This interaction with the customer has been pivotal for us as we think about innovation, as we think about growth and all the things and the initiatives that we're trying to drive within the business. So it's exactly what you said. When I say DTC, I'm not thinking about what channel we're selling in. When I say DTC, I'm talking about the relationship with the customer and then the channel we figure out, right? So, okay, if, if, if it's first about the relationship with the customer, whether we're selling into a retailer or whether we're selling into them on our website, the question is, is how do we bring them full circle back to interacting with our brand directly? And we're gonna get into retail in a second, uh, as I know that's it's a potential growth opportunity um, for solo brands, but. Sticking to the D2C theme for a second, tell us a little bit about, you know, why if you believe done right, you know, you, you outlined it at kind of the start, you know, most people think um, D2C is challenged to be profitable because of acquisition and all the costs uh, involved. Um, so how can solo brands, uh, your viewpoint in terms of being a true D2C company, but also layering in potential wholesale opportunities uh, and, and looking ahead to, to growth. Yeah, you know, if you look back at, at um, you know, or start with customer acquisition costs, 
you know, there's a lot of tactics, right? I mean, that, that you can deploy in order to, you know, drive customer acquisition costs down or, or increase your sell price and ultimately still generate profits. And one of them, even before I, I get into wholesale and, and retail relationships that, that comes to mind for me is referral business. Again, back to the relationship with the customer, when you're driving really strong loyalty with your consumers by listening to them, reacting to them, responding to them and delivering a great customer experience, you tend to want to share with your friends and family members the products that you love, right? You don't ask your, the, the brand for compensation for doing that. You just do it in exchange for a great experience. And that's been a big unlock for us. We focused on customer experience in this relationship with the customer. And what that's led to is a lot of loyalty from our customers who tell their friends and family about our, our brand. And when their friend and family member comes to our, our site and purchases our product or goes into a store and buys the product, we didn't have to pay or spend advertising dollars to acquire that customer. And so when you blend that together with the customers we did have to pay for, ultimately you're driving your customer acquisition costs down. And so, you know, again, to, to now lean into the question around retail and wholesale and how we're thinking about that as an opportunity for us, there's a whole world of eyeballs out there that we're not attracting online just through e-commerce that retailers have, have gotten very good at and already have loyal audiences with that they can bring those eyeballs to our products on our behalf. And ultimately when, they're, when they do that, it lowers our customer acquisition costs via the channel by, by partnering with the right retailer. So we've been selective with who we've allowed to carry our products, who we wanted to align our brand with, but the retailers that we have partnered with, we're excited about. They're, they're bringing us new sets of eyeballs. It's additive to the reach and the exposure that we already have. And, and that's been really effective for us. You mentioned being very selective about the retail partners that you've um, worked with. And you gave a great example uh, today in terms of how you're trying to uh, bring that customer relationship back to solo brands. They may buy from a retail partner. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how you're doing that? Because when people think about wholesale, they're thinking about, okay, they're losing that relationship with the customer. They're not collecting the data. They don't know who bought, why they bought, when they bought. Um, so talk a little bit about how you're trying to overcome that hurdle, still maintain the customer relationship in a wholesale, you know, in a relationship that starts through a wholesale purchase. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, and with a ticker like DTC, you can imagine the, the, the internal conflict that we have as we start selling to retailers. And they're right. going, wait, but hold on, on this ticker. Um, but the, the truth is, is that if you approach the relationship from the get go with, again, relationship, customer relationship in mind, it actually isn't that complicated. Um, it starts for us with the SKU mix. So what 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 products are we actually putting into our retail partnerships. Of course, you have to offer great products, right? Retailers want the best products, the products that consumers want to purchase. And so we first start with, okay, what's attractive to our retail partner and that consumers are, are really gonna be excited about being able to touch and feel and walk out with off the shelf. But we're also careful in that SKU mix to try to find products that we know customers are likely to want to come back for an add-on purchase, an additional accessory, um, some sort of item that would enhance the experience with the product they're buying in store. And so we're focused on that. And then ultimately, if we can get an insert or some sort of offer inside of the box in the retailer and get them to come back to our store to buy an accessory, buy a, a stand for the fire pit or a lid for the fire pit, we can still drive a one-to-one -one connection with the, with the customer, different than if we were to just carry all the SKUs in the retailer, set it up so that the consumer never needed to interact with the brand 
and really lose touch with the consumer. That's that's really what we're trying to avoid. Yeah, and that I guess uh, falls into or leads into my uh, into the next question in terms of the profitability of the customer acquired directly versus one that you're um, acquiring through a wholesale channel. Can you talk a little bit about um, that potential gap, if there is one, and if there is a gap, how do you offset those margin that you're giving up on wholesale um, as you as you further go into that area uh, of, of the business? Yeah, so, you know, you you lose gross margin when you sell to wholesale, right? Because you're selling the product for a lower price. Believe it or not, in our model, the contribution margin or ultimately the profit on the sale actually ends up being very equitable between okay. our, our, our e-commerce customer or our direct sale versus our sale that goes through wholesale. And the reason being is that generally we offer a free shipping uh, option to our consumers online. So we've got to ship the product to the customer and there's a cost associated with that. There's also a cost associated with the marketing to acquire that customer. With wholesale retail, the customer acquisition cost is really burdened by the, the retailer, right, who has the brick and mortar store, the place for the consumer to come, and they cover the shipping, right, of the product to their, to their stores. And so our gross margin is slightly lower with wholesale retail, but when you flow through down to profitability, you actually have an equitable scenario. So for us, and again, you know, it's, it's a great situation for our retail partners as well. We don't have any more incentive from a profitability standpoint to sell to a consumer directly on our site or in their store, as long as we can still have a relationship with the customer, which is what we're focused on. So from a dollars and cents standpoint, a profitability standpoint, uh, we really could be indifferent about which, which, which channel we're selling in. When you um, think about the lifetime value of your customer, too, um, as you've added these new new brands to the fold, maybe some customers that were initially acquired through the solo stove, do you feel like there's overlap? Have you seen overlap? How do you try to sell them into these additional brands? If you are, maybe it doesn't make sense. You you know, you try to silo things. What, what's your uh, strategy there? Yes, up to now, the brands have been pretty siloed. Um, but in 2022, we, we've been talking throughout the year about an, an effort last year to really invest in the data work, the data infrastructure and the, and the, the, the CDP within the business so that we can start looking at the customers across brands and looking for any sort of similarities and ties and opportunities to cross sell those customers. Today, roughly 2% or so of our businesses or of our customers have shopped from more than one of the brands. Um, and we'd love to see that grow to 10, 15, 20% over time. We're just in the early stages of the investments and the work into the data to, to take advantage of that opportunity. And it, it could be a, an awareness issue too, right? Do they even know that the brands are connected? Right, a lot of them don't. We've made subtle, subtle announcements here and there, but have been careful and, and cautious not to kind of, you know, shove any one brand down a consumer's throat, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, making them feel smothered or, or overselling to them. So we're careful about it, but yes, there's definitely an awareness component. And in fact, all the time I'll be talking to somebody and they'll go, what, you know, you guys own Chubby's or you guys own Solo Stove or you guys own Oreo or Isle. So it's, it's kind of a cool moment when, when the aha lights go on, you know, to somebody and they, they already love one brand and they love a different brand and they realize that those two brands are actually under one, one umbrella. As you think um, about 2023, growth opportunities, what do you foresee? I mean, we've talked a little bit about wholesale. Is potential future acquisitions in the in the mix? Uh, you know, expansion of product categories. 
where are the growth opportunities that you're targeting? Yeah, there's probably four that, that I can I can mention here that we're all we're all pretty excited about. I think the first one is, is new product innovation. In 2022, we rolled out more innovation than we ever have in a given year. 23 looks even better and potentially more robust than 22. So we're super excited about that opportunity. International continues to be a big opportunity for us. Uh, we're continuing to invest in in going deeper in the markets that we've launched. So we're we're live with our own sites and fulfillment centers in Canada and Europe. We launched Australia earlier this year, which is an exciting one for us. And we're going to continue to invest in in those markets and go deeper. The third one is is what we were talking about, which is uh, which is the the data work that we're doing in, in terms of being able to cross market customers, and we think that that's a big growth driver for us. And then, lastly, as, as you were mentioning, leaning into um, throughout the conversation is the wholesale retail partnerships and the expansion opportunity that we have there. We're super early uh, in our story across really all of our brands when it comes to wholesale retail, and we're excited to be able to lean into some of the partnerships. Chubby's, uh, you know, is uh, from a from from a retail perspective, retail expansion standpoint, one of the biggest success stories um, that we've seen over the last several months with with our Dick Sporting Goods partnership, um, going from um, you know about 100 stores or so uh, to almost all doors um, into 23. So um, big opportunities kind of across the board, both to go deeper and wider in our uh, in our wholesale retail partnerships. I want to. Uh follow up on point three and then some of that data integration work um, from a talent perspective um, as you think about investments too do you have that in-house do you look to work with outside partners there um, you know what are your what are your uh, plans for that yeah it's our, our model has always been to do things as efficiently as possible and, and what that has has generally looked like for us is that we use outside help until we're paying that outside help more than it would cost us to hire an internal resource and that's been our model and we've we've replicated that over and over and over again so today based on our size and scale most of our talent is in-house uh, we do very little work with outside agencies um, it's it's allowed us more control um, we've been in, in able to manage costs better uh, and been able to really build best in class when it comes to again the digital capabilities uh, and running all of our marketing and, and our data platform coming out of the holiday season and I don't know that any of your brands would be particularly seasonal maybe they are gifting brands maybe the Chubby's uh, brand um, but just your overall uh, view of the consumer what you saw out of the consumer in Q4 and what that potentially means for the overall health of the uh, consumer in, in you know Q1 here and then moving deeper into 2023 yeah I, th I think in 2022 we saw the consumer return to pre-pandemic uh, holiday shopping behavior so uh, you know in 2020 in 2020 and 2021 consumers accelerated their shopping a little bit they were shopping earlier there were supply chain challenges in 2022 you saw the consumer holding on a little bit longer waiting for the best deal you know, really wanting to get to that week of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and take advantage of the best opportunities uh, to, to buy for the lowest price, um, which is what it looked like in 2019 and, and all the years prior, you know, for, for as long as, 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 uh, as we've been around. And, and so I think, I think in, in some regards, that's a very good thing, right?
right? I think it tells us that the consumer is somewhat normalizing in their behavior. We're not going to see the sporadic, unpredictable volatil volatility that we've seen from consumers over 20 and 21. Even though we were all excited when they got free stimulus dollars and they were spending them like crazy, it was still volatile. It was unpredictable. That's why we had supply chain challenges in the first place. So I like the predictability that the consumer is, is, is showing to us. There's signs that they're getting back to more normal behaviors, which means, you know, as we watch the ebbs and flows of the economy, of savings in their bank accounts, of interest rates and things, we should be able to predict, predict a little bit better what consumers are going to do. Um, obviously, the, the, the downside to what we're seeing in the consumer is that inflation is at all-time highs. Um, savings has been depleted uh, over, over pretty much the last six to eight months. Um, interest rates are, are also pretty high. And so there's likely some headwinds ahead from a macroeconomic condition standpoint. But again, you know, you mix that in with the predictability that we're going to get out of out of this environment from the consumer different than the last couple of years. And uh, it'll be a, it'll be a mixed bag for sure. And how about from an inventory position as you um, begin this new year? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, you know, I think uh, for us, and we've talked about this, there were, and in, in, in other brands, frankly, there's just a lot of investment in 21 and 22 coming out of 2020 when everybody's just like, whoa, what just happened? You know, supply chain challenges, freight costs were going up. Um, and then we got ourselves into a position where we saw the softening happen in 22 and everybody had all this inventory. Um, there were a lot of fears going into Q4 that brands were going to be so over inventory that promotions were going to go through the roof and gross margins were going to, you know, get get destroyed. And there's been some of that. I don't think it's been as severe probably as, as, as maybe, you know, we, we thought that it was going to be, which I think is a good thing. Um, and overall, I think from the reports that we've read around, you know, credit card spending and things like that around Cyber Monday and, and, and Black Friday, the consumer did seem to show up um, for the holiday sales. And, and I think for that reason, you know, I feel good about overall the, 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 the state of inventory across, across most brands. Um, for us in particular, we feel good about the position we're in rolling into 23 and um, believe that, um, you know, by the back half of 23, uh, we will have, have made a serious dent on getting our, our inventory back to a, a normalized level. When I think about, uh, in particular, your solo stove brand, um, I would imagine, and you could tell me if I'm right or wrong, that the growth in that brand really, uh, you know, the pandemic probably accelerated that as people were spending a lot more time outdoors, uh, new customers coming into the fold. Um, now that we're moving out of the pandemic, and you try to hold and retain on those customers. Think, tell us a little bit about, you know, we've talked a little bit about acquisition, but retention, um, and it doesn't have to be specific to the solo stove brand, but I just, I thought that might be an interesting um, angle to for you to touch, to touch on. Yeah, it's a, it's a great one. You know, retention has been so important to us and our ability to attract customers and getting them to come back. And that new product innovation I was talking about earlier has been such a critical component for us um, in getting customers to reopen their wallets to us and say, hey, I've got this, this fire pit that, you know, seemingly is durable. It's going to last a while. You know, what else? You know, what else can I, can I add to that? And so, you know, we spent a lot of time during the pandemic innovating and launching new products, and that's been a, a big driver for us. And, you know, I, I know it's, it's not retention, but back to your, your comment about acquisition um, and acquiring the, the, the acquisition of new customers. During the pandemic, while we did get the lift you're talking about as people were, were at home more and investing into outdoor activities, 
we saw this this lift in demand from customers, which was fantastic. But where we actually saw a drop was in our referral rates. See, we have a, a really high referral rate at Solo Stove, so to use that as the example, and we went from 45 to 50% referral rates uh, at the peak prior to the pandemic, all the way down to 18 to 20% referral rates, which meant just a lot less people were sitting around their fire pits with friends and family members. And so we weren't getting as many of the referrals that we would normally get whenever you go to your friend's house and you're like, man, this is the coolest thing, a smokeless fire pit. I got to go get one of those too. And so what we theorized and has come come to fruition and we saw it in 2022 and are excited for 23 is that now as we're in a post COVID world and p things are opening back up and families are gathering again, we have this big install base of customers that hadn't yet referred the people in their circle because they hadn't gotten together with them yet. And we're starting to see that. And ultimately when that happens, referral rate goes back up, which is exactly what we've seen. So 45 to 50% pre pandemic dips to a low of about 18% and then now is back up to 45 to 50%. And so we're seeing that referral business come back through, which ultimately lowers our customer acquisition cost and really helps us to drive growth in a post-COVID environment or an environment where we're having to lap the nice demand that we saw through COVID. And so that's how we're still able, you know, as, as we talked about in our Q3, Q3 earnings call, um, still deliver significant double-digit growth, uh, even organically uh, in this type of environment. And I think you gave a great example during the fireside chat today in, in terms of growing that that lifetime spend um, as well with the, and I believe it was Costco was the example that you gave if they're buying one of the solo stoves, the fire pit, you're then including a coupon to drive them back for to get an accessory, to get a cover for that fire pit. or um, So you're then extending that relationship and, and potentially getting another sale out of that. Is that, you know, can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the, the goal for us is to continue to add value to our customers' lives. We, we say at, at Solo, good moments and lasting memories. Our, my job is basically help people put smiles on their faces. And so if we can come out with innovation that helps customers do that more, that's going to be a win for us and ultimately a win for the customer. And so it's, 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 it's really a win-win scenario and anything that we can do to give customers a reason to be circling back with us, to continuing to buy per products from us, infiltrate other areas of their lives. We talked about the pie pizza oven earlier, you know, that's completely different category to the fire pit. Um, you know, the, the patio heater, you know, extending again, their outdoor living space and allowing them to spend more time outdoors for longer, anything like that, that we're able to do is an excuse for the customer to come back and, and, and give us dollars and then ultimately take those dollars. And then for us, roll them into our, that LTV to CAC ratio, um, which is the end goal, right? Raising LTV because your customer acquisition costs ultimately stayed roughly the same. Well, great. I want to uh, take the opportunity to thank John Maris, the CEO of Solo Brands, for joining us on this episode of Total Retail Talks here at uh, ICR. Thanks, John. Yep. Thanks, Joe. It was great being with you. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please check out our podcast channel page at mytotalretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Total Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Total Retail Talks.